0: Now that we are 40 volumes in to Judge Dredd, who, at least as of this point, but you can probably cheat because you always do and extend it beyond the range of the case files. <laughs> who is your favorite non dread Who's your favorite character in Judge Dredd that's not Judge Dredd?
1: No, this far? Um, this far, it's probably, oh shit, I don't know. Because I literally did just start thinking about people who I don't really start liking until later. Because mm. I was going to say Giant, and I don't think Giant really gets good for another, like, ten years. Oh, really? Wow, okay. Early Max Normal. Oh, nice. He's he's Dred's informant. Yeah, he's the informant who's in the bowler hat and the yeah. drapes suit. And, yeah. like, talks like he's either, like, in the 60s or someone has is doing a really bad version of Cloudwork Orange. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, early Max Normal. Interesting. Okay. You? Oh, I refuse to say. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm oh my God, I love that. <laughs> I, I don't have an answer. I just want to speak as well. Yeah. Drock, episode 45, the penultimate slash ultimate, depending on how you want to look at it, <laughs> um, installment of our monthly look at the complete case files of Judge Dredd, City ones, fine law, man. I think everyone who's listening to this agree. Uh, my name is Graham McMillan, and with me is my esteemed co-host, Jeff Lester. Hello, everyone. And we're broadcasting from Jody Balfour Block, which is a weird reference, but says a lot about what I was watching this morning. <laughs> Those who know will know. Wow. We are doing Judge Dread the Complete Case Files, Volume 40, which is the most recent published case files. Yeah. As in, we've actually caught up. I'm mean, going to say most recently published. It was published like three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, is uh... really weird. Like yeah. when Jeff was in Portland, <laughs> we saw it in the stores as a new release.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was great. The great, the, the best part was um, I've seen it. Both were. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty unobservant, frankly, Graham. So we were both surprised. But like at the second or third comic store we were at, you were kind of like, "What the fuck is this?" Like you were really <laughs> thrown. <laughs> You're like, Are th- "Is it following us? What what's happening?" And and you figured out that of course it it must have just come out and so yeah it's kind of fun to think that this series which i believe the complete case files started in 2005.
1: um yeah i mean it's 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 crazy it's genuinely crazy that a we're in episode 45 of this series mm-hmm. uh which like i said is the penultimate and ultimate it's ultimate in the sense of we've we're completing the case files with this yeah. episode and the penultimate insofar as there is a drug next month it's weird to think that we've done 45 of these, but we've done 40 of the case files. Like, this is material that was published in 2004-2005 and we've been reading material that started being published in 1977. Like, (laughs) we have read a shit ton, like, more than a quarter of a century's worth of Judge Dredd stories by this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? (laughs) Which is crazy. Uh, Like I said, 2004-2005 this stuff comes from. It's 2008-progs, 1408 to 1436, and magazine 224 through 227. The magazine numbers is slightly uh, confusing. Well, not confusing, but slightly misleading, I should say. Yeah. Because there's two dread stories per issue. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's actually uh, five separate magazine stories, even though it's only three issues of the magazine. Yeah. So just to, you know, genuinely seem a little bit confusing. Yeah. the majority of it is written by John Wagner, and uh, behind him, Gordon Rennie does a chunk of stuff here as well. Yeah. And as Jeff and I were just saying before we started recording, this is a fucking great volume. Yeah, it it's really is. The one. This yeah. is drunk. Like, yeah. It's this is drunk. Like, let's just get this out of the way. Wait, the what?
0: No, what? You got it flipped. Yeah. You said, this is... Oh yeah, no drock. This is drug. Wow, I actually. Ugh, all yeah. right, everyone. I won't it bore you. But, yeah. Well, <laughs> it was not you. <laughs> I I pulled the old, you know, only one of us is walking out of here and it won't be me. Yeah, sorry everyone. I've got I've got a story about muscle relaxants that I'll tell you next week, but uh <laughs> yeah. But yes, yeah. no, this is total drock. I mean, this is actually uh, uh, I don't know if it is the like, oh, we're kind of getting near the end. But I I honestly think if I were to revisit, this is up there as just one of the top case file volumes, which is kind of great to go out on such a high note.
1: It's crazy that it's volume 40 and this is legitimately probably in the top like five of the case files.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, You know, and, and again,
1: you know, Wagner writing a character he created more than a quarter of a century before, yeah, and just finding something to do with him that is just—I mean, it just blew me away. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, I, and one of the things, you no, know, I feel like I feel like normally we do a bit more introduction, but we're just going straight into it this time. One of the things that I really like about specifically the 2000 D stories here
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that it feels like it's a one story.
0: Yeah, right. for the most it part, feels like mm-hmm. there's an
1: inciting incident and then the yeah. aftermath of it, yeah, um, as opposed to just jumping around everywhere, yeah, you know, and and th- there feels like there's the total war is the story that starts and is you know again to jump to the end, by far my favorite story in the volume. Oh God, right. Um, but in part because it reenergizes the strip, and and you know we we hated. Restricted files for mm-hmm. last episodes. But before that, like, we thought 39 was a good volume, too. Yeah, it's true. But it's, not, it's, it's not like Dread has been hurting in terms of the chronology of the strip. Right. But Total War really does, for me at least, completely re energize. Yeah. And I weirdly refocus mm-hmm. uh, what Wagner's doing with the character in the strip. And the plus side, I think, is that Rennie seems locked set with him on this.
0: Oh, yeah, Rennie. Rennie, really, um, to 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 basically reinforce and and hopefully without fully reiterating your points, I feel that you're absolutely right. The '30s we hit sort of, kind of high functioning blahs where it was like everything's going okay, everything was good, um, but it was just. It was. It felt a little samey, samey. It hadn't really felt very energizing. And we'd had one volume where suddenly Rennie just like connected with the character, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. as I think we we said was writing sort of, um, you know, sort of like slightly subpar Wagner. And yeah, yeah. And here I think he very consistently like there there was. One story, at least the first time through by him, where I was like, "Oh man, Wagner kind of ended that." That's kind of a little too on the nose for Wagner. And then I looked and I was like, "Oh shit, it's Gordon Rennie." And I think I think Rennie's contributions here are incredibly strong. In fact, yes, yeah, it, by far the strongest things he's done. With oh, that. definitely, definitely. I I think that you mentioned you mentioned that magazine was pretty n- not nearly at the level that 2000 AD portions of
1: this volume were? <laughs> I, I mentioned that before we recorded, I think. But oh, but, well. but yeah, like, uh, the, I think the magazine issues are not up there. Um, um, I, I, right. I, I, could, I could, you know, th- this is as much as anything, I think, coming down to taste. Mm-hmm. In part because I do think that 2000 AD for this volume is Total War in the Aftermath. And the magazine isn't. Do you right. know what I mean? The magazine... magazine doesn't even really catch up with the chronology. Yeah. Uh until the very last story.
0: But there are some pieces that I do like in magazine and frankly, Meat Patrol, uh by yeah, Gordon yeah. Rennie and Simon by Colby is, is up there. Yeah. It's excellent. It really was uh like, oh that is that's Wagner level without any qualifications. That yeah, was
1: Yeah, there there's excellent. no like pulling of the of the punches or, or Whatever yeah. the whatever the the uh, critical way, uh, version of that is, yeah. but it is it reads like a it reads like a good Wagner story. It really does, you know, and I, I think that's the case through the 2008 material as well. Again, at times it feels like subpar Wagner, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel it doesn't really feel like two writers. Yeah. the 2008 material. No, I think that there's such a level of consistency through it. Yeah, in part because again, Total War comes along and and. You know, we'll break down the stories in a second, but the short version is: total war is uh, a series of terrorist attacks in Mega City One that end with a lot of deaths. Yeah. And the stories that follow, for the most part, are in terms of 2000 AD at least, are are informed by that. Yeah. Right. They're informed by the fact that there has just been a series of terrorist attacks that have killed a lot of people. Yeah. And how do the judges deal with that? How do the citizens deal with that? But also, how do the terrorists deal with that? Right. Right. Is It are are basically the threads that come through. Even when you get to something like Descent, which is the last 2080 story in the volume, mm-hmm. which is, you know, ostensibly, for all intents and purposes, like a monster story. Right. The gimmick is mm-hmm. we're going into the Undercity because of a hole left behind by the destruction of a block. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, they're still informed by, by these, like this thing that is a traumatic event, which arguably for the first time ever in, in Dread is really treated as a traumatic event. Oh, completely. Like, even Necropolis. Yeah. The fallout of Necropolis was maybe like four, four chapters. Right. Right. You had, you had silver and, uh, you know, the zombie silver. Mm -hmm. and you had like oh death's out there somewhere but that was basically it Mm -hmm. you know like dread's hideously scarred monster face was healed really quickly as well Mm -hmm. whereas you have essentially six months worth of stories going yeah it kind of fucks you up when when millions of people die
0: yeah no exactly there there is a uh, again i think this sort of um, listeners we I swear we were talking before the episode, most of it was our just usual good nature, shoot the breeze, not going to bore you with it. But we did sort of start steering into it and in part a little bit of the, what are we going to read past the case files? Like originally, for those who may remember, the, the there'd been a lot of talk of like, hey, we'll do one more year past the case files where it's like, you know or read a a new major storyline through dread and kind of do kind of do all the greatest hits now that i'm i'm anyway feel schooled in dread uh but of course um we undermine that by deciding to retire the podcast at the end of the year so so we're really only going to we're going to compress that down to one to and, one end, yeah, yeah the one and, choice. And, and of the two choices that Graham mentioned, you know, Day of Chaos is a pretty significant Dread storyline. I certainly get that feeling. That is, like, with the Apocalypse War, it feels like just one of those um, things that is mentioned within the Dread mythos, because I've read some dread and magazine in fact it's kind of sort of how i started out way before we started doing drock um and and a few other issues and just it really always feels like sort of such a center point and and so i think i'm 95 percent sure and well it will be 100 percent by the time we reach the end of the episode don't don't worry but i think we will read day of chaos but one of the things that graham said is that it Day of Chaos has a a lot in common with Total War. Like they are similar beasts. And I will have to take his word for it because one of my things when I finished this volume was why the fuck isn't anyone talking about Total War like every chance they get? It's a <laughs> Seriously, it is a fucking phenomenal story. And like you said, one of the things that is brilliant about Total War and we'll get into it is Because it is a series of terrorist attacks where, well, I mean, we're going to be talking about it in two minutes, so there's no reason to worry about spoiling it. Essentially, Total War is the terrorist organization that we've seen uh, mentioned in previous stories. I I think that I was reading up on Wikipedia. I think they got mentioned in In America. Well, and, and in yeah, exactly. And in Terror, the one that we read relatively recently, which we liked, which was about... Uh, doomed lovers being part of this terrorist cell and uh, of which one was a terrorist cell. And the other one was in the dark about it. Um, Total war very much takes that organization. Sorry, the organization total war um, basically sends an ultimatum to the judges, which is step down and remove yourselves from mega city one. Or we, we've planted 200 atom bombs in uh Mega City one and we will start setting them off and i think one of the things that's absolutely brilliant about the storytelling in this is a it, 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 it's uh graham sort of says like yeah a lot of people die um but
1: what's brilliant is people people keep dying like and there is <laughs> well what what's brilliant about it is to interrupt but also make your point and then i'll get back but yeah. um they blow up the blocks. Yeah. Right. It's, it basically starts with total war saying with the judges, not believing them. Total war. Yeah. Goes, okay. We'll, we'll blow up one block to prove it. And they do. Yeah. And that's early on in the story. Exactly. And
0: you're like, Oh, holy shit. And it feels like a lot. And then one of the things that I think is super brilliant. that Wagner's just a genius in is the, the, the judges are playing for time ...and doing everything in their power to hunt up the other bombs. And they find a second bomb. They send in people to try and defuse it. And they begin the process because, of course, this is... Before it was like, we couldn't let anyone know. This is not, you know, what if they're bluffing, etc., etc. Now that the first bomb's gone off, when they find the second one... ...they're like, we've got to evacuate that block. And people are... and, And as much of the space around it as possible... And the judges are like asking Hershey because she's in charge. Like, I mean, is that is that at all reasonable? Like, how much? What if it turns out to be nothing? And she's like, "We can't take that chance. Evacuate everyone." And there's a great tense sequences. There's so many tense sequences in Total War, but one of the things that's fabulous is you get to see these full page um, shots of the. Uh, the area essentially around the block and everyone being evacuated with, with that many people. I mean, it's obvious that they can, you know, everyone's sort of moving at a crawl and then the bomb goes off and you, you more or less get to see it destroy those, um, those areas that you, Mm -hmm. that you've seen people evacuating like, and get worse and worse and worse. So It is. It's one. It's total war is fucking amazing because it makes you genuinely feel um, that some that something major has happened in Mega City One. In a in like you said, like they've done all kinds of things, and and Wagner has been good in the past. Like I don't remember if it was after Necropolis or whatever, where there's like an enormous mass burial of like. You know hundreds of thousands of citizens mm-hmm. in a mass mm-hmm. open grave, and that's that's pretty effective, but it is nothing to me it's nothing compared to this, yeah, and so wonderfully, reading the rest of the volume where it talks about efforts to more or less you know the how the city is is struggling and suffering and Having stories that build off the base of it. One of Rennie's stories, The Searchers, is just about because so many people have fled to the cursed earth trying to get away from where they, you know, the city seems lined with bombs and it's impossible to escape because, of course, every possible jet and hoverport and spaceport is all backlogged. And so people are just fleeing. The Searchers is an incredibly effective little follow-up piece where Dredd and the other judges are out in the cursed earth, like trying to get the people who have fled and tell them like, Hey, it's, you know, the threat's over. You can come back. And, you know, with devastating results. And so it really feels very, very sustained in that first half. Like you said, Um, what's odd is, as I think anyone who, who follows the, Case files. No, sometimes there's a weird twinning effect that happens in in uh, the case files where it's like either people pitch stories at the separate times, and then the way the art gets worked on and scheduled, they come in really close. So it's a little odd that you basically have two vampire stories um, within you know forty pages of each other. Horror in emergency camp four. By John Wagner and, and really yeah, and Descent yeah. by Gordon Rennie and Boo Cook, but they're both great, and both of them, in different ways, um, I think. Really, how do I put it? it? It's something that I think the Day of Chaos goes and builds and runs with, you know, very extensively. But the idea that essentially Mega City One is Way more of a refugee camp uh, with buildings um, than you know than you would think. Uh, horror and emergency camp four is great for being genuinely horrible, even before the quote unquote monster shows
1: up. Exactly, even before the horror.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just it's just phenomenal. I don't I don't quite know how it came together, and I do have to say. Um, One of the things that's been really interesting for me in my voyage voyage across the ocean rock uh, has been at the beginning, um, throw power overload was an absolutely invaluable tool for helping myself contextualize or understand or give myself insight. You know, it's really common where it's like either usually after I finished uh, case files, I would go and read you know uh throw power overload and read the relevant sections about it and um we're very much in the area where <laughs> perhaps understandably um there's way <laughs> more drama in throw power overload during this period of trying to develop and launch new series or tr- you know since it's a book about 2000 AD there's a lot of other breakout characters and stories and decisions and things and and because of the nature of it, uh, the the closer you get to present, the less shit-talking and finger-pointing you get because all of these people, in a way, are still working with one another. Um, but I have to say, I would love to know what the fuck was in the water. Like, who was the person who was like, yeah, I want to do this for Total War, if it was Wagner, if it was um, the editor, Matt Smith, and just... And because it really... I feel like we've seen various... Um, bites at this particular Apple of, like, having a big mega event and having it really seem to resonate across mm-hmm. a lot of the stories. And this is the volume where it really felt like it to me, you know? Well,
1: what, what's really interesting to me is that, and and I wonder if you'll feel the same next month, mm-hmm. but Total War to me really does, in for all that it is impactful and for all that, I think it's an incredibly successful story. Mm-hmm. Um it feels almost like a dry run for day of chaos mm-hmm. and I feel that uh, in in part because um necropolis is in theory an apocalyptic event right and you yeah. know I'm talking about a story that was that was created at this point like fifteen years earlier right mm-hmm. but necropolis is an apocalyptic event where if you believe what the story says, all of mega city one is basically possessed slash under the dystopian control of of evil of of mm-hmm. demons mm-hmm. and and many people die and we're told that mm-hmm. in the same way that in the apocalypse war we're told that many people die but like we were saying before the strip bounces back really quickly
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. right within you know 12 weeks you're basically back to, you know, it's Judge Dredd. Here's a wacky citizen's strip. Here's a, you know, yeah, waka waka waka. And I'm not complaining, especially you know, the Apocalypse War. The material afterwards is some of the best dreads, mm-hmm. right? Total War feels like, like we were saying, something that lingers, mm-hmm. something that has an effect, and you believe more people die in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Total War feels like the most horrific event to have happened to Mega City 1 to, to this point. You know, part of it is probably it's the first one created after nine eleven, right? Right, right. Like yeah. They have a real-world thing to model it after. Yeah. Part of it is uh, the, the uh, editorial direction of 2008 has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, by 2004 they're not going after the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't a comic that's aimed at, you know, 8 to 15-year-old to mm-hmm. readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for that matter, if you're buying 2018, 2004, you're buying every issue, right? right? So you yeah. don't have to do something that's new reader-friendly so often. Yeah. So you don't have to bounce back, per se. Right. Um. But, well, but I, Sorry. Oh no,
0: I I I want to build on that cuz actually not, I feel interestingly enough that total war is a is of like you said really 911 is uh seems an important factor to it to me mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and and I I want to say or I'm tempted to say that part of that is by doing this in 2004 2005 and seeing something as huge as as nine eleven, um, I think to me the thing that it is that may be informing them is, you know, without without putting too fine a point on it, like America didn't bounce back after nine eleven. You know, like it's four or five years down the road, and and America is you know was fucked before but it is fucked on a global stage and 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 essentially so i think it is kind of easy in a way to be like oh you know prior to that it's like oh yeah you know we've got things have happened and things are bad and you know um, unless you are part of like i don't know you know a, a generation of of gay men that saw you know your entire generation demolished and destroyed or multiple generations demolished and destroyed um you know i think or or people who remember the height of things happening during the troubles for example i think for a lot of us it it got very easy to be like you know things that we still hear today sometimes they're like oh nothing ever really changes like it's all going to be okay and i think it's easier in a way possibly pre 9-11, or, or I should say, it's harder to wrap your brain around the idea that there's going to be some horrible catastrophe that's going to change everything forever. Like, everyone's like, yeah, sure, well, you know, everyone will mention that event, you know, forever. It'll be like, Necropolis really was like, and the the mega events that followed after all were just lip service after they were finished. And I'll be curious to see how much or what rolls on with this, uh, after this with total
1: war, or like you said, the stuff with day of chaos, but well, well yeah. what I was going to say is like day of chaos, day of chaos, like resonates for years. Yes. Right. Cause day of chaos is total war amplified. Right. Like the death toll is, so much higher. Yeah. But also, Day of Chaos does it backwards as well. Mm-hmm. You know, not to spoil too much, but Day of Chaos is basically the result of the Apocalypse War.
2: hmm. hmm.
1: Right? And you've had some of that previously. You know, some of the right. Orlok stuff is, yeah. you know, people remember the Apocalypse War. Yeah. But Day of Chaos explicitly grows out of, of the Apocalypse War. And for me, as a reader, at least, recasts the Apocalypse War as the central narrative event in Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. so the point where, you know, moving on from the Apocalypse War, when you get to something like Trifecta, when you get to, you know, the small house, like the big, the quote-unquote big Dredd stories that follow. Mm-hmm. They're either connecting to Day of K or so the Apocalypse War. Right. Right. Because those events are so big. Mm-hmm that they resonate outwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So trifecta, which I think I I might be getting my, my chronology wrong. And, and people who know better, correct me in the comments. I want to say day of chaos was around 2010 mm-hmm. and trifecta was around 2012, mm-hmm. maybe 2013. Yeah. Um, but trifecta happens because of day of chaos. And right. that's explicitly in the text. Right. Right, and as someone right. who
0: was reading Trifecta, it was clear that it was such a major thing that was remarked on, and which was ironic because I'm like, I have no idea what these people are. Yeah, you're like, uh,
1: but but it's um, clearly big, you know. Well, I know, but also like it's explicitly laid out in text. You have the uh, a plot in Trifecta where the 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 central antagonist more or less says the only way I was able to do this is that we're all fucked because of Dave Keres. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The only way this is possible is because the judges are not paying attention. Right. Because they can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Day of Chaos fucks everything so badly. Right. Right. Um and and you know, you get to the small house, and the small house builds off of Trifecta,
2: mm-hmm.
1: builds up Day of Chaos, but in a very real sense goes back to Apocalypse War as ironically the original sin. Mm-hmm. Judges, which is clearly not right. You know, okay. the judges were were a, a corrupt fascistic system prior to that. That's that's their M.O. That's the entirely what they are. Right. But the idea that the 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 uh, the genocide mm-hmm. the dreads uh, undertakes, but more than that, the moral certainty <laughs> that the judges had that allowed him to do that. Are, are at fault
2: mm-hmm.
1: And, mm-hmm. And, and have become the story drivers. And so you have things that go back to there, but also you have things that thematically come out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it it feels like those two come from this post-9-11 realization of you can bounce back so far. Right. And like I think this in 2022, mm-hmm. like – Three years into a global pandemic that yes. you know, for intents and purposes, like the world at large has moved on from, but also in twenty twenty two, you know, twenty one years after nine eleven, and you could argue that like nine eleven has fallen into the background. Mm. You know, like realistically, I don't think it's a thought that many people have on a regular basis now.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, in a in a way that I would argue even for like ten years after nine nine eleven. I would oh, yeah. say it was it was it was like a constant presence in "quote unquote" the discourse, and I'm not sure that's true anymore, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, as you say, like you know, the fact that this is being written in 2004, and when you think about the immediate aftermath of 9/11, especially three years later, four years later, yeah, right, exactly, um, you see that it. It left America shaken. I mean, left the Western world shaken Mm -hmm. to a degree that, you know, maybe Wagner realized that he was being too glib Mm
2: -hmm.
1: by, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, look, the entire East coast of America has been possessed by demons, but they're going to get over it in six weeks, (laughs) you know? Right. And instead was like, well, I want to dig into this. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you also mentioned the troubles.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Got to bear in mind that, you know, this is a British comic. (laughs) yeah right so the troubles is very much on people's minds as it was happening in the 80s and the mm-hmm. 70s mm-hmm. right but i also think it plays into total war mm-hmm. because one of one of the things that i think is is to say a joy is to sound really genuinely weird about this one of the things that i find a lot of uh uh fulfillment in total war is you see first of all that the the ones behind the plan to to basically blow up Mega City One if they don't get what they want
2: mm-hmm. are
1: a privileged few, mm-hmm. and the, the the majority of the people who are part of Total War do not want this to happen, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but also feel powerless to stop it. Right. But also, you see the judges outright be like, "Okay, well, what's an acceptable number of blocks to get blown up?" Yeah, like right? there's a wonderful scene where you see the judges going. We don't think they've smuggled in enough material to have 200. Yeah. They probably got 12. Right. Right. And the idea of, like, somehow that was acceptable. Do you know what I mean? Like, there, there's something oh, totally. like that where you get to see them doing the math. Yeah. And you get to see them actually going, well, you know, to lose one city block is forgivable. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Right. And right. you, you do get to see that the, both sides, the, the, the citizens, and by which I'm also including, like, the quote-unquote regular members of Total War, are, are fucked and are, like, pawns in this, in this sort of game of chicken that's being played. Oh, agreed,
0: agreed. Also, I want to say, and I wish I'd been faster, that I feel like you were setting us up for, like, one of the Best all-time Oscar Wilde paraphrases. Um, you know that that whole like you know to <laughs> please, to please lose go. to lose one uh, one uh, mega block <laughs> is forgivable, but to I, lose I, I two see, seems was, like yeah. yeah. So
1: carelessness. Yeah, no that that was weirdly where my brain was going, and I was like, I can't. That's too tasteless. Oh,
0: you got it. Oh, I'm so glad I brought I dragged it back. Everyone. That's where Graham was going. And that's genius. Um, but, But undercutting your point in a way. One of the things that is great, there's so many wonderful things about Total War that I'm sure we will rant about more. But one of the things that is absolutely fabulous is, yeah, the judges spend, there's a certain number of judges that are completely like yeah, but we can't do this. We're not going to stand down. We'll let people blow themselves up. We're, surely we're not going to remove ourselves. And there's also ones that are like, we got to shut this down. We got to stop this. This is, this. you know, we'll step down. We'll step away. We'll do whatever it takes. And honestly, the the people on Total War, there is like, with the exception of a very few people, the vast numbers of Total War, as you point out, are against this action. And in fact, the only reason why it ultimately gets shut down is the number is very crucially a key player. It comes forward and is like, yeah, this is unacceptable. So the judges really, in a way, despite all their best intentions, probably would have lost if not for the crises of conscience on the parts of the participants and oh yeah of the terrorists yeah of the terrorists yeah, or, of like, the or, terrorists. like exactly. not not just the participants of the terrorists the, i'm sorry right? the, the participants in total war is what i
1: meant yeah but yes absolutely uh, the terrorists. It, it, it is it's a very uh, you know wagner one of the things i think is it to his credit is that wagner this sounds terrible is is a both sides writer <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Is it, is that he really is? He will. N- he very rarely, and I think um when he does this, it's 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 a it's a problem. Mm-hmm. He very rarely lets one side be right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I I think Total War is a really good example of this because viewed through one lens, the judges are trying to stop people detonating nuclear bombs inside the city. They're right. the good guys, right? But they're really not. Right. And Wagner, I think, underscores that a lot in Total War. hmm hmm The judges want to maintain power. Right. And Total War wants to... Or I'd say Total War. The, the people in charge of the, the bomb threat... Yeah. ...basically are willing to kill everyone in order to win.
0: Well, and the thing that's amazing is there's three people at the top at the end that we see. And... One of them is like,
1: no, 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 no. Uh, this is enough. We've had enough. There's too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. We want to blow people. Yeah, because yeah. in the end, and I, I, you'd, you'd have to correct me. I, they blow up three blocks in the end, right? They, they successfully managed to blow up three blocks, or is it more?
0: Uh, well, so they, you, no, it is. My understanding is it's, it's, it's hard how you define blocks because. The first bomb there's blows up. There's three up. explosions. Yes, there's three explosions, and and the the first one is detonated on purpose. The second one is found by the judges and is sent to uh, auto explode upon being tampered with, and then the third one is um, is deliberately exploded. So three of them, th- and yeah, so there's three explosions. Three three blocks sectors however you want to put it and you really are shown that amount of devastation but by the time you see the final three people in charge the the top three of the organization who are hiding away one of them is like we've already blown up enough of them you see you, you don't even see them until like there's a, there's a cutaway panel where you don't see them, but you see their discussion right yeah, before yeah. the second one goes off. And, and at that point, someone's like that, you know, kind of like, wait, this is, this is going to go off. And the person being like, yeah, I want to watch it on the news. And the first person being like, you're sick. And he's like, you know, it's like, once you're willing to set off bombs, it's just a matter of scale. And, and so you you kind of get a sense that one person's kind of like, you know, in that weird inversion of what the judges are saying, there is someone who was at least able to convince themselves that setting that, – that setting off one atomic bomb was acceptable, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. But – it clearly is, you know, the second one is not, but it, but is very much in a. Well, the judges brought it upon themselves. We're not actively setting it off. We just can't stop it. And then the third one is, you know, two of the people being like, "This is what has to happen," and the third person being, you know, absolutely not. And
1: yeah, so, horrified. Yeah. Yeah. I, sorry, I was, I was just looking through the pages as as you were talking. There are four explosions. Oh, there are four. But, okay. Because the fourth is. The bomb, the judges were trying to get away and they drop it in the Cursed Earth because they have to abort because... Um, oh, yeah. The, the Basically, the remaining explosives have been set off. Yeah. So the third one in the city and the fourth one in the Cursed Earth happened at the same time.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, technically, right. The third one, all, they, they basically pulled a trigger on all of them, but... The third, only the third one's still in the city. All four, yeah. like, fourth through 12 are all in a pit in the Cursed Earth um, and go off at once. So, yeah, arguably all the explosions, but yeah, they're, in terms of in the city, absolutely yeah. right. But honestly, it is one of the things that is wonderful about the pacing is the explosion that goes off in the Cursed Earth is also kind of stomach churning. You literally yes. do see people... And their last words before they get, you know,
1: yeah. blown Va- all down. Vaporized. Hell. Yeah, vaporized. Well, one of the things that this does um, particularly well that feels part of later era Dread, which mm-hmm. I guess is what we're in, is that it really gives page space to the explosions.
0: Oh, God, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, you get a double page spread for the first explosion. Which includes inset panels of people getting vaporized. Yep. You know, and then you get the the next page. Almost half of it is dread, basically dealing with the firestorm. Yeah. That is coming from the explosion, Mm -hmm. Uh, and talking about how the radiation and they need force shields. And again, when you get the the second explosion, oh, the second. There's like three pages. Yeah. Three. Three really dramatic, yeah. gut-wrenching pages yeah. of the explosion and things either being on fire or being obliterated. Yep. Yeah. And so even by the time you get to you know the fourth, uh, sorry, the third detonation, which is you know happening in multiple places. Yeah. Um. Even there, like, there's so much time spent on. Yes. The the destruction. Mm-hmm. On on the, the wholesale destruction. Yeah. That it's not, you know, one you know, one even one double page spread and then it moves on. Mm-hmm. The idea is you you as a reader experience this as an inciting incident, no pun intended, and then the immediate aftermath and the immediate aftermath is as important. Yeah. It's horrific. It's 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 devastation, it's it's utter desolation. You know, yeah. and I think that sells it in a way that, again, to go back to the Apocalypse War, the Apocalypse War, you know, is very dramatic, but the destruction of, of East Meg One is, is is barely shown in yeah. retrospect. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and 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 here the destruction of these three city blocks and and their surrounding areas, because as you see, like the the detonation takes out multiple city uh, city blocks. Yes. Um, you know, is is shown to be as as destructive, as as horrific, as as it should be, I guess. Yeah. You know, like you really get to sort of live in the moment of this is terrible, of of people are dying, of of, of there is just this wholesale loss.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, you when you when you get to the second detonation, and it's it's scenes of of the blast hitting other buildings,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's offset by newscasters basically telling you how horrific it is. Yeah. But you also have these smaller panels of people being vaporized, but also people flying through the air. Yeah, yeah, the force of this explosion. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Henry Flint is the is the artist for for Total War for the. Yeah. I think I think it's eight chapters all told, mm-hmm. um, and Flint's work and Chris Blast's colors and Chris Blath's colors I think are here are really good even though I've been bad mouthing him before oh yeah uh, but the two of them sell the story visually so well oh god like, I, I, I think the artwork is is extraordinary yes for Total War. Absolutely. and I think that what they're able to do to suggest the destruction but more importantly to suggest the scale the scale cool. of the city even without the destruction yeah I think uh, really, again, underscores what Wagner's doing in the writing, but also how apocalyptic this event actually is. You know, how many people die, how utterly, utterly destructive these events are. And I think that the art does such a good job in that.
0: Oh, uh, the art is fucking tremendous. I, like, there is a way in which I would be I'd I'd love to see Wagner's scripts about this, but considering sort of how um, much in the industry, it's kind of a joke about how minimal and terse his <laughs> scripts are. Um, like you really have to see that Flint is carrying, you know, doing the majority of the lifting and the storytelling and the storytelling is extraordinary. Like the, just the you could teach a master class in in pacing off of Total War alone because the the pacing is never less than exquisite. There are panels, multi-insight panels, you'll get panels where things will get super busy and then they will open themselves back up. I I mean, at some point, one thing that I want to ask you about that I I will hold off on is is an approach to Flint storytelling. But the level of detail combined with the pacing, combined with, and this, of course, would be in the script, Wagner's intercutting from different scenes um, builds to such multiple crescendos of tension that, mm-hmm. that pay off exquisitely well. Like the storytelling in this is fucking phenomenal. Like this is one of those um, that's happened a few times uh, in reading the case files where I'm like, why the fuck aren't we teaching this next to Watchmen? You know, like,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I do. No, I, lo- no, no, I no. I but, but Watchmen, there is but. the, um, you know, the, the second detonation in particular. Oh God! a yeah. three-page sequence. Actually, it's a four-page sequence because the detonation begins on the first page.
0: Yeah,
1: and wonderfully, you see a broadcast from the judges who have been sent to to deactivate the bomb. Yes, and you see Hershey watching, and you just see one of the judges saying, "Grud, I think I just triggered something." Yeah, the next panel is silent, and it is the beginning of the detonation, and it's those judge, judges being atomized. You see their yeah. skeletons. Yep but what happens between the following page and then page two pages after that is amazing because yes. it's a shot from the same angle of the same location yeah but in the first page you see the detonation happening and you see the force hitting everything yep and then two pages later you see everything on fire and the people who were there are now skeletons
0: yep and and what's genius about it is that setup That same angle, Flint uses exactly that same angle two pages earlier to show the evacuation. So showing it where you just see all these people jammed into a tube and you get a sense of how – what's great is it looks and it is like it's serving us the story purpose of Jesus Christ. This evacuation is happening on such a large scale. On such
1: a scale, yes. And it's actually – like, yeah. even just that first page where you see the evacuation happening yeah. is a masterclass in, in yeah. storytelling. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's one image, but you see, A, you know, you, you have multiple planes. Yep. And so you get to see the scale of the city. Yeah. You get to see the number of people who are leaving because you get to see them walking on a walkway close to you. Yep. A second walkway slightly further away, but then on the ground... Mm-hmm. below that and all of them are full of people so you really do get overwhelmed at the top of the page you can see the number of ships that are leaving yep yep right so like that entire page is just filled with information of this is how big it is this is how important this is that's happening
0: well and i think okay. also to to you know at at the at the risk of of over egging the pudding um and, and embellishing on your point Flint and this because he's not he really is not cutting corners in the art and the coloring does a wonderful job creating that sense depth of scale. But also it's it's one of those pages that because it's so detailed and there's there's so much in it, your eye lingers on it. And so to me, what's wonderful about that page is, like you said, it has the scope of it, but it's set up in a way that I feel is constructed to to make you realize how laboriously slow the evacuation yes. is going. Yeah. And yes. so constructed that way, you're kind of like, you know, a relatively experienced comic reader is like, you feel it, but you're also like, oh, okay, I understand why this page is here. Like, this does a great job of telling the, the story of this evacuation is slow and laborious. Then when you see the explosion go off and you're like, Oh, holy shit. And it's from the same angle. There's that familiarity you have with those people that you have seen. Mm -hmm. And then two pages later, when they're skeletons, everything is in fire. It's fucking extraordinary. But also again, as you point out, Wagner has a newscaster which Flint casts in tiny inset panels, but also throws a number of panels at the bottom of one of the explosion pages that, like you said, are people flying through the air, things being atomized, the firestorm. It's just all impact. But the series of all those cuts manages to me to not only heighten the 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 brutal quickness of it but also the unending
1: nature of it it's very much it it's it's a mass it genuinely is a master class in what you can do with comics yeah especially because and you 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 touched this all of the inset panels for the these this particular sequence of pages and i think this is one of the cases where like on the show notes i'm going to have to run all of these pages yeah probably like i I think that's that's the easiest way to do this but the inset panels in these pages are tiny
2: yeah
1: right yep. so yep. they're all the scale of the destruction yes. it's never lost yep because the insets are so small yeah um one of the things that the the first page that we're talking about when everyone's walking away um one of the things that that does which honestly works for me on a subconscious level but i think that's just because it's the way i read mm-hmm. when you see the explosion two pages later. Mm-hmm. you realize how far away that building was in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's Because when you good. go back and revisit it, you realize that building was really far away. Mm-hmm. And that's how big the desolation was. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a how far point. One yeah. explosion went. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and how really
0: many people packed in sells. that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It
1: really exactly. dramatically sells the, the scale. It's... I mean, it's just extraordinary. It's genuinely extraordinary what Flint yeah. does here. And again, what Blythe does. Yeah. Because Cause... going going back to that first page, it's very, particularly for me, Blythe's coloring mm-hmm. that creates the depth on that page. Yeah. The way he manages to knock back the blacks
0: mm-hmm. on
1: that first page to create the idea that there is these series of planes. Yeah. Um, yeah. really does create the idea of like oh no that is that is distant that is far away yeah and it's it's done with such subtlety which again just adds to your sense of scale later
0: yes, yes. right you you take it mm-hmm.
1: in the subconscious level and then when it becomes for one of a better way of putting it, when it becomes important later right yeah. You suddenly have a moment of like oh shit that was that big that was yep. that traumatic yep yep yeah. Um, yeah it's it's just it's it's extraordinary what's funny is we've we've talked for so long about with Laura, and we've not mentioned the b-plot at all yes yes um which
0: is which i was going to say is one of the things that i think is really fascinating you'd mentioned necropolis um or as we touch on one of the things about necropolis that I think is, is fascinating in, in contrast is necropolis is the accumulation of dreads story at that point, right. As dead mm-hmm. man. And it's very much kind of, uh, um, it dreads storyline is the storyline. The, yes, yeah. the beast, the b story here is about, dread learning that there has been yet another clone of him named uh, Nimrod and that uh, Nimrod is essentially a clone, not only a clone, but a clone who has been genetically modified to have special heightened senses and strength and things. And as happens with genetically modified uh, people so often, he is basically, falling apart from the inside out. There's neural decay. Um there's uh problems with brain and motor function. He's just barely there. And so dread Dread is looking at yet another mirror image in a very different way from what happens with Necropolis. Um in that he is basically just seeing a genetically manipulated and destroyed monstrous version of himself. And the people are like, hey, so yeah, we kind of can't kill him without family approval. (laughs) Yeah, so can you give us the okay? And when Dredd basically tells them to pound sand and walk off, they go and reach out to his niece, uh, whose name I, with the V, I can never remember. Vienna, why is it always so hard for me to remember? Anyway, Vienna's contacted, and Vienna's reaction to it is is very different from Dred's. She does feel that this is a member of the family, so to speak, and that Nimrod's life is in her hands. She visits Nimrod to try and get a sense of the situation and try and communicate with him, and there is a certain amount of that but it's also just kind of a horror shit show. So while dread is stressing on the A plot as dread does and basically is telling Vienna like hey just get out of town in his incredibly super terse you know yeah sure i guess you could say he cares cuz he's taking the time <laughs> to tell
1: you something and Vienna <laughs> She. She, did, yeah. she basically is like, yeah, but like, is this really bad or really bad? He's just like, just leave. I can't say what it is. Just yeah. leave, which right. I kind of love. Yeah. You get see her be like, yeah, but you know, it's mega city one. How bad is it going to be? Which yeah. Is a nice way of of really, yeah. Um, showing, I guess, how other people think about this.
0: Yeah. And so interestingly enough for me, Graham, one of the things that i I've it, like. Essentially, you end up with sort of multiple climaxes. There is mm-hmm. the takedown of the top of the organization, there are the explosions of the bombs. But because of where and w- where everyone is when the final bomb that is within the city explodes, um, Vienna is imperiled, Nimrod is free, Dread is riding to her arrival.
1: And I have to say, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't... I, what's really funny, so this is maybe the third or fourth time I've read of the war. Uh-huh. And I, I used to hate the Nimrod plot. Yeah. Um, right, right. Um. And I really like it this time through. Okay. Uh, In part because it's kind of great how utterly shameless Wagner just goes King Kong with Nimrod. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... Because it's, he really does. Mm-hmm. Nimrod basically finds Vienna first, and is like, "Oh, save her!" Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you know, Frankenstein monster slash king Kong <laughs> through the whole thing. Oh, Frankenstein's um, monster, very much so. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I, I think what I like about the Nimrod plot is that it almost works against everything else and works separately to everything else, mm-hmm. which is it is dread initially going well fuck this guy this isn't my family this is nothing to do with me Mm -hmm. like i i am i am the law that's it right having uh, and this is putting far too much character arc on dread who you know dread's character arc is measured in decades not in stories right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but dread does reach out to vienna yeah like just just fucking leave just go yeah. Bad things are happening, you should leave. You should go to Britsit. Yeah. And he can't bring himself to say why. Mm-hmm. He's like, you should leave. Yeah. And then when the explosion goes off, the last explosion goes off, he's like, I've gotta fucking save my niece. Yep. And when he then discovers Nimrod, he he apologizes.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> like
1: he, he kills him because of course he does, but he apologizes. Yeah. And says by the power of in me I grant you mercy and there is a sense for me of dread realizes that the law is more than just an abstract concept
2: hmm.
1: and that he is he is trying to to some degree keep people safe and and people is personified not an abstract interesting right hmm. um again i think i'm projecting a lot i think i'm giving far too much character development for what's actually there because dread doesn't get character development in that sense at all like he doesn't and wagner doesn't give him character development in that sense right um but i think that it's it i think it's a really interesting B plot uh i also think it's an interesting B plot because honestly it has nothing to do with A plot well see that is it. it really right. doesn't it's entirely separate
0: there there is a there is a certain amount of why is this here? And yeah, yeah. there's there's two things for me that are going on about that. One of the things is I sort of wondered if, if Wagner... So I, to me, the whole thing with Nimrod and everything, for the most part, to me, really seems like Wagner trying to
1: solve a construction problem of, okay... The first episode what fir- what's, what's my very last dramatic turn to cliffhanger Yeah, kind of. Like yeah, the yeah. like
0: I've I've got the first explosion is surprising and it looks bad. The second explosion is is way worse. Um but essentially kind of like how do you have something new so that the third explosion
1: What's what's the third act turn that's going to make people think oh shit? It's somehow- yeah. exactly
0: and the idea being that it goes off when vienna's there and then there's all the other stuff in a way it almost feels like a backwards construction of like okay but it goes off but how would vienna survive or well dread finds her but what's going to have to be the challenge there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly so there's there's so why would they be in touch with one another a whole a whole set of things Mm -hmm. And so it seems. Uh, it unfortunately, it's it's the closest thing to being like, oh, it's it's. Uh,
1: well, it's 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 the sloppiest part of the story by far. It is. The it is part the, by yeah. far. I'm I'm not gonna argue with you. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. One thing it does give though is it gives that last page epilogue, which I fucking love. Mm-hmm. I love the conversation between Dread and Hershey at the very end of the story. I think it is a joy and is one of the reasons actually fuck it hershey is my favorite supporting character i was wondering yeah. I, I was question. kind of surprised you didn't pick her I, yeah. yeah okay yeah um and and this scene is a large reason why mm-hmm. because dread actually does try and resign yeah uh specifically because he says i i let my personal um feelings overwhelm my judy right right which you know is is Honestly, not fucking true, Dread. but whatever. And Hershey not only doesn't accept it, Hershey says, if you intend to deprive me of my best judge, I must insist you make it over something a little more serious. Right. Which is such a wonderful dismissal. Okay. I agree I with you. love that. I love that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And it sets, like, you know, we've seen Dread almost resign a mm-hmm. bunch and we will see it much more near scum to the point where there is i want to say it's small house maybe i right. uh, dread threatens to resign and hershey calls him on it
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's basically like you keep fucking doing this mm-hmm. like you can't keep threatening to resign either resign or shut the fuck up right uh which again you know in terms of continuity is 20 years forward from this mm-hmm. but um but I I love that not only does she not accept... Because of course she's not going to accept. It's, it's a serious called fucking Judge Dredd. That she basically is like... that This is trivial. You know... <laughs> this is worthless. I,
0: right. But I, I... Graham, I gotta say... I wonder, you know... Um, one thing that weirds me out... And it's... There's two things in it. Uh, one is... One thing I wanted to ask you about assuming that again that what Wagner is doing is a lot of uh very minimal storytelling in his scripts like he's conveying just enough of like what's there and then the the artist solves it so I'm assuming Yeah
1: yeah yeah the, the famous like dread grimacing Right like, exactly
0: yeah. <laughs> so one thing that's really that I found myself being wondering about is why Flint makes such a strong use of square inset panels and, and, and almost, and plays a lot with cubes and boxes in his layouts. Like, some of that is clearly, you know, just sort of like, well, here's how I'm going to tell the story. But, one of the things that i think is is weird and fucking awesome is the when the first explosion goes off when you when you realize that the first thing is going to blow up and blow the the boinger bowl or wherever it, the fuck it is and you have the double page spread you've got a gorgeous the majority of the double page ve- spread is literally dread's view on his bike seeing the first explosion yeah, yeah, yeah. go off
1: and you know it's dread view because you see his gloves and you see the, the edge of his of the bike yeah
0: right and you you've seen it on the establishing page that he's on it but and oh but i should also say but next to that is a a 16 panels in uh, a cube inset basically a a square it's more of a cube but it's it's a square inset of a four by four grid that again is fucking extraordinary in its timing um, because it manages to, to cover multiple viewpoints and does multiple things. There's literally each one of those is kind of a separate thing in and of itself. But I also found myself being like, why is that a cube? You know what I mean? Like, why is it a square? And of course, in a way, people Wait. might be like, why not? You know, like, why Why is it that that Flint takes the time to put essentially a Rubik's Cube, an inset Rubik's Cube on a double page spread showing all the things that that are happening and it's essentially that they're all linked up, right? And... Um, the very first page of the story, which I think is just extraordinary and masterful right out of the gate, is uh, essentially the the terrorists of total war. They give the judges notification by um, shooting a a flying cube into the judges the Hall of Justice, which gets shot down and reveals a com slug that they plug in and play. And again, above the beautiful panel of the judge picking up the com slug and then with the tiny inset that says play it above it, the sequence in which the cube flies by the guards zips into the building and gets gunned down is set up on a six by two grid of tiny inset squares. So it's kind of the setting Tone for this story, right? And so part of me was like, am I going nuts? Is there a reason why this entire story, I mean, and part of it is, is that Flint's doing so much with timing, but even separate and apart from the timing of it, it's boxes within boxes within boxes, you know? Um, and I I couldn't I couldn't figure out why until possibly the last page and i don't i don't know if i i I think you're i think it's since this is our penultimate slash ultimate episode it is worth having one last i think
1: you're reading too much into it jeff i'm so curious where you're going with this if nothing else
0: so so the final page has dread come to turn in his badge and uh the third panel on the page is Dred putting his badge on the table and it's a single panel and it, you know, his glove and the dread badge. Hershey says, no, um, basically right now I can't afford you. That's an order. And in this case, I am the law. And what you see is Dred's badge again. Um, but it is... It is in the center of two panels. And part of that is to show the motion of time. Like the left, that you've, the left but hand the is hand back
1: taken. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. So it's like, I'm handing you the, the badge back and then dreads taking it. And it's very elegant, but it also is a bifurcation of dreads name and his badge. You know what I mean? Um, and that seems, that seems, that seems very weird to me, like, as a final thing. It's also worth mentioning that, that it, you know, it seems, it seems, again, potentially a little Wagner glib that is like, okay, well, we have got to have some kind of punch to the ending. And the ending is Hershey saying, I am the law. Like, but there is, so you you've got a final panel, a final page with two panels on it in which... Hershey says Dread's punchline and Dred is severed in half, at least his his badge is. And again, there is a level of the boxes within the boxes within the boxes that are going on throughout this, of which, again, Dred's badge is sort of split. I'm wondering, and I could be wrong here, That Hershey basically, more or less, recreates the cycle that starts the story. That And this is going to sound really ridiculous, but that essentially part of the problem in Total War is that everyone's ability to put the enemy in a neat little box is more or less what has allowed this situation to escalate and that it's the number of people that can step outside of seeing people within the boxes that are kind of like, look, no, look, this is human lives here. You can't kill this many people or, you know, that you're no longer just seeing the enemy as the enemy. And in, and in order to do that, you essentially kind of have to have a life like if what would happen to Joe Dredd if he resigns here like if Hershey said okay go like as you said there's nowhere for this it's never going to happen because that's not the strip but if you if you take that aside and and you pull that aside what happens to Joe Dredd if he is no longer Judge Dredd if he literally does quit now Gordon Rennie has a whole other story where Rico and Vienna are talking in the hospital and Dredd, of course, was supposed to be visiting her. And as is kind of a trope, gets pulled away because there's some other crisis that he can't turn away from. And Vienna's like, yeah, that Dredd, he doesn't care about me. And Rico's like, you don't understand. He was willing to give up his badge for you after the incident. She's like, oh, really? And of course, part of me is like, Gordon Rennie, that is not what's happening. Like, and I don't think maybe it is, maybe it's not. When I read it in Wagner's thing, it's like, oh, that's typical dread." He's basically, you know, ashamed that he has given into the human side of himself and he's resigning. But there is part of me that's like, but what caused Total war to happen, if not the inability for these people to see, to have a life that allows to be connected to other people and allow themselves to see people outside of the boxes. And part of the reason why this, the Nimrod thing is weird is at one point, Nimrod, Vienna meets Nimrod and Nimrod, who we had seen previously in basically a fugue state. Is more or less functioning when she comes in, and then um, essentially has as a seizure uh, and starts spouting things that are—he's—he's he, he's literally a monstrous version of dread, right? Like he's basically yelling things like "I am the law" or some variant. Yeah, I mean,
1: he's—he's he's literally a monstrous version of dread. Right. He is—he is dread weaponized beyond dread. Right. So you have Dread as
0: essentially a purely modified family less monster. And that, you know, and, that, and, and so, which, you know, really does end up being like, was great until he wasn't. He has, he really isn't anything by the end, except again, this sort of weird figure, monstrous figure. But I do wonder if the the way that the, the B story connects to the A story, at least in the way that maybe Wagner was thinking that he would get to or flesh out, or the way that Flint goes with it, is that there is that idea that you know is that dread 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 more or less tries to become something other than judge dread in that last mm-hmm. page you mm-hmm. know and and is it, and refused and is refused exactly and so the bifurcation of that shield is is on the one hand either a well, he's not going to be, you know, either fish nor fowl. But I think in a weird way is the idea with Hershey saying, you know, and in this one, I am the law, is, is that is that dread is doomed to be a creation of the department. That even the things that he espouses are really just the things that are fed to him from the top. And... And that the system's inability to let go of the things that it needs for the system to survive is what ends up perpetuating the, you know, the threatening and near destruction of the system that perpetuates it, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I simultaneously think that you're reading too much into the fact that that's what the bifurcation of the badge means at the end, but also think that in terms of thematically, I think you're correct with what that's what the story is saying. Okay. All right. So, splitting difference, which <laughs> maybe, maybe is a good way to, to go for the, right. the, the penultimate slash ultimate episode. I'm very aware that we've basically spent an hour and a half talking about Total War. Yeah, I guess that's basically right. I was like, no, Graham, it's more like an hour and 21 minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope, whatnots who are listening who haven't read this, you understand that, like, Total War is Total War is – just shockingly good
0: a fucking great
1: and, and, and in terms of a way to start a volume right. it's simultaneously like such an, uh, a statement of intent and feels like it's about to set up the rest of the volume to fail right. and what's shocking is it? the rest of the volume doesn't fail
0: yeah absolutely absolutely.
1: and you know there are missteps for sure right. uh, the, you know after the bombs with, with Jason Brassel's art Jason Brassel's art feels 100% totally wrong for, for the story it's telling. Uh, you know, I,
0: weirdly I th- enough, I thought it was okay.
1: I thought it did work. I, th- I, I, I... think it's too weirdly slick and cartoony. Yeah, uh, I, do. I normally well, feel that and, way about it. And honestly, it. Coming, coming after Flint, because Flint's work is similarly cartoony, uh, but cartoony in an ugly way, it feels like it's it's born of a sort of grimy caricature. Oh, and completely, yeah. I feel that Brazil's work um, is... I don't know, like feels like air simultaneously airbrushed and weightless. Yeah. And so when he's, he's doing a, a, a story that is ostensibly about one of the, the, the total war uh, members having amnesia and then realizing what they've done. Yeah. Um, it felt too slick and too glossy and, and, and very much felt at odds with, with what Wagner was trying to do with the, the writing of it.
0: I, normally would absolutely 100% agree with you. Absolutely. Maybe. Be, Except. Well, <laughs> no, no. I think, so I think um, uh, it's so hard because I feel like, you know, we're in, it's a rocky ride because in between the, um, Total War oh, you have and the Blitz, yeah, right. Which, on the one hand, I was I was not a fan of the art there, even though technically it's functional and there's some very nice bits in it. But and it it also does, you know, spoilers wrap up things with the Blitz that has been running on for years. I think because there is. Because right after that, we just get thrown right back into the world of warfare, yeah. Total War storyline, where everything is horrible. Um, the cartooniness of Brazil's art gives it a... Kind of allows me a certain amount of distancing from what's really of depressing story with a super depressing as fuck ending and i love that ending um and i feel like i love it in part because i've just got a ton of distance like brazil's sort of heavy metal meets ren and stimpy level of um over like you said, literally over cartoonishness. I think considering it becomes a story that is just kind of brutal from top to bottom and again, potentially follows up with maybe one of the thematic things from Total War that essentially the perpetuators of the atrocities are not even really fully cognizant of what they're doing even when they think they are. But I, I didn't I didn't hate it. I was wondering if you just wanted to do a speed round and like maybe talk about each story for like a minute or two, or if you wanted to spin through and hit your highlights, like you said. I mean,
1: uh, Christmas of the Blints is fine. Like is fine. Very, yep. It it wraps it wraps up the Blintz, the Angel of Death's uh, yep. sort of long running thread. And for that I'm grateful for it. Honestly, I don't think Andrew Curry's art is is neither here nor there. Right. You know, he's got some nice moments in it and he's got some blab moments in it. I think. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, after the bombs, I liked the writing. Uh, it does end yes. with a very grim, so uh, grim. like a oh genuinely grim. Yeah. Even for dread. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the long and the short of it is the, the judges realize that one of the total war people who is penitent for the crimes is also uh, precognitive. And so they basically decide to use her as a machine.
0: Right. I mean, you're... <laughs> like... is a... Do you one, mind one... if I flesh that out by a hey, sentence no, or two, please. Graham? Okay. Yeah. So what it turns out is is that she has a traumatic head injury as a result of the accident that gives her amnesia. And it allows her to be a precog. As soon as they remove the piece of metal, um, she loses her precog powers. And because the this, the precog division has been for shit and this whole total war sequence would never have happened, they need essentially good precogs. So they essentially jam a metal thing back in her fucking head. And then in the final scene, you see them adjusting the calipers on the metal
1: <laughs> shard yeah. to I try and calibrate... Think- yeah. She's strapped to a chair as well. Yeah, like, she's, it, you know, it's not like she's wandering around either. Like, they've literally strapped her to a chair and they're sticking things in her head. Yeah. So that she she basically can be like a, a machine for Yeah. Them.
0: She has been dehumanized uh, utterly. Um, so, like I said, like like you said, the writing's great. The, the, art, the, art, it,
1: the art really does not
0: sell it for me at all. I think the art works against it. Visiting, sorry. Yeah, no, and I was going to say I've never—I don't think I've ever liked anything by this artist uh, up until now, but it worked for me.
1: Uh, Visiting hour is Gordon Rennie and Anthony Williams, and it is the the sorry Jeff mentioned before about Rico visiting um, Vienna and Dreadnought, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's 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 actually I think it's it's pretty good. I am fascinated by Rennie. This is the second story he's done where Rico and Vienna discuss dread. Yeah, uh, and a it's far better than the first one he did. Yes, but B, I wonder why he keeps going back there. If that makes sense, like it's it's really curious to me what he thinks he's going to get out of that. Which, which I honestly putting it that way, sounds much more combative than than it's intended. No, 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 no. no. But but I I, I like I am curious what what he thinks is there. Um, although I think this one is, like like I said, more successful than the first. Um, the Searchers follows is Gordon Reidy and Carl Critchlow and is really nice. Again, yeah. sort of grimy, it's really, it's grim. It, yeah. it, it genuinely is something that uh, more than After the Bombs, I think, successfully sells the, well, everyone's fucked now. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Post-Total War vibe. Yeah. And no, worth pointing it's... out, only six pages, too. Yes. No, exactly. Yeah. And Critchell's art, I think, is great. Again, like Flint, yeah. I think he has a sort of very – he's weirdly um, – I see a lot of similarities between his work and Colin Wilson's work from much earlier in the run. Mm. Uh, I get a sort of like heavy metal vibe from him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, uh, but again, a sort of griminess and a, a, a sort of, uh, you know – grossness sounds incorrect it's not like weirdly sticky or anything but it feels dirty right. in a way that honestly works really well for this story oh yeah uh, perfect match
0: for a cursed earth story yeah
1: yeah horror and emergency camp 4 is john mark and disraeli i think disraeli is really really good here think oh his great. colors are also great here yes his coloring work does really really good uh good stuff with disraelis art here yeah it's point where i thought that uh it was just really colouring. I, I, the yeah, colors and it I have worked, worked mm-hmm. so well together that I would have thought they were the same person. Yeah. Um, it is, as, as Jeff was saying before, it, it's, it is again, uh, a, a pretty great, everything is fucked in mega city one story. Mm-hmm. Even before you get to the monster of the, of the, of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great monster story as well. Yeah. You know, it, it by this point for me, at least and Jeff, your mileage might vary, but I realized that like the tone of this book was substantially different from, from earlier volumes. Yes. And was much more, um, downbeat and was much more haunted to the point where, you know, in retrospect, something like Christmas with the blint doesn't fit, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or honestly bite fight by the time we get to the magazine material as well. Yep. Doesn't fit. like, you feel totally off with the rest of the book. Yeah. Um, and so Horroring Emergency Camp 4 feels very much like a quote-unquote new dread version of the monster story that we've seen before. Yeah. Uh, demonstrating still why Dread and Monsters is actually a kind of great combination. Mm-hmm. But also how you can plug that story type into where we are tonally with the strip yeah. right now. Right. Uh, I th- I thought it was great. I thought it was, a, a, again, sounds like such a strange thing to say about a particularly grim volume, but I thought it was a joy. I thought it was just a masterclass in comics again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, just another one. Absolutely solid. Um, missing, and,
1: missing in action. Sorry. Gonna oh, go.
0: I was going to say the one thing worth noting. I realized now is it's also one of those stories where uh to, to follow up on the total war angle in a way like you, the, you get to see inside the head of the monster. Like there's a lot, more opportunities to feel some sympathy and empathy for the monster. After you've seen it commit some pretty brutal, horrible acts and, and, and luxuriate in them, you're kind of like, Oh, but he's also kind of trapped. And Disraeli's art is fucking masterful in creating empathy for the monster on the run. So, just
1: wanted yeah, like yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it's such I mean it is, again, it's it's a really good monster story. Yeah. Um but just really and Len O'Grady as a as a team is Oof. it's yeah. So good. Um Missing in Action is Gordon Rennie and Ian Gibson. And is it's fine. Ian Gibson's art again sort of fights against the story a bit too oh, much for me.
0: Too much. I, I think Gibson I mean there's there's a panel where dread is like they they've set up surveillance on this guy who does indeed turn out to be a bad dude, but the bad dude pops in the car, and it's just I mean that car is absurd, like you know like Gibson, this, this is technically supposed to be one of a a. a it's, a lighter story. Well, I mean, it's light, but it's actually, again, got a real dark undertone.
1: Well, no, Dread... no, but, but in terms of this book, it's a lighter story. Oh, right? yeah,
0: absolutely. But Dread is basically has the 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 owner of the, um, oh, Jesus, what is it? The the Planet Gary down by Jill Gerard's spaceport. And one of the regulars there has gone missing. And he was a veteran of the Apocalypse War. As Dredd starts looking into it, it seems as if the the guy has just gone wacko. He's gone completely paranoid and is convinced that that he's living next door to Soviet spies. Um, and dread has an instinct for things. And sure enough, everything turns out to be much darker. Um, and you get... So you get basically, you know, a video vivisection gang who is more or less getting ready to torture this half crazy veteran, Um, and you know, you've got dread getting shot. You've got a, you know, a veteran basically triumphing against amazing odds. It's got a very feel good ending, but it all, but that feel good ending, but but the numbers get there, yeah. (laughs) yeah exactly goes goes really dark and i think all of that would be fine if it didn't if it didn't feel like Ian Gibson was like drawing this for you know chips and Whizzer. you know what i mean like it's a very it it's it's it just looked it's just too i i actually kind of like his weirdly super goofy Sunday morning humor strip approach to drawing dread in other places, but I don't think that it serves the story well here. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so particularly since the story ends on kind of a heartwarming note, that was the one where I was like, ah, Wagner kind of yeah, misses you're like, the this, beam this, this on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So,
1: um, Descent is the last of the 2008 stories in the volume. It's Gordon Rainey and Bukuk. It's the other monster story that we talked about before. Yep. Um, and it's again it's fine mm. bukuk is an artist who i think does amazing colors oh god the um, colors are I, amazing and i in don't this. like their i don't like their figure work mm. but like the the they, they, they do painted artwork and the their lighting of their painting oh, is god. just extraordinary yeah. it's, it's genuinely extraordinary but you know, then you get to the figure work and I'm like, oh, but it's not working, but it's kind of working, but it's not. Well, kind um, of, yeah, exactly. It, I, yeah. There is
2: a
0: pa- there's a page where and, um, you know, the the Judge Anderson knockoff Judge Karen of side Division shows up and and she's popped up a couple of times before she touches the head of one of the 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 afflicted essentially and has a psychic vision of the big bad and that, that page is gorgeous. I was really struck by the coloring the kind of once you get away from the, you know, you've got a monster so you don't have to worry too much about how the, the, those joints are supposed to work, but just those piercing eyes seeing the vision, you know, like literally peering through a bloody landscape was just was pretty brilliant. So,
1: yeah, like you said, but, fine, but, again, but like, fine as, as plus. Story, it's fine, yeah. mm-hmm. but it also, I think, relies on a piece of continuity that at least I didn't really care about, which is C- Judge Karen. Right. Like, I know I've seen Karen before. Yeah. I'd be lying if I said I remembered the last time I saw Judge Karen. Right. Um, I wonder if she is one of those characters who had been appearing in the magazine a lot more.
0: That's kind of what like I was In, in other strips,
1: yeah. I yep. mean Yeah. Um, and therefore, like, people would be much more familiar with her. But considering. The the point of the story is, and Judge Karen, like, gets possessed by a monster and sticks as a monster. When you don't really care that much about Judge Karen, it kind right. of feels a bit, like, low-powered. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I sort of she- assume that Gordon Rennie
0: was, like, had created Judge Karen and was like, okay, this is my thing. Like, I'm gonna, I'm really There's gonna tell this Karen story. Karen comes from, like, Ennis or Morrison. Right? I think huh? so,
1: yeah, absolutely, yep because um, there was of course the point where Anderson was off, off limits. Because mm-hmm. Anderson had had left the, the, the judges in, in her own strip. Right. And I think there because there was definitely Morrison definitely invented Judge Janus, I think. I can't yeah. remember her name. That sounds right. Um and and I think Karen might have been Ennis. Yeah. Anyway, that, those are the two thousand D stories and, and as I was saying before, like I think to the two thousand D stories in this are just altogether strong. Even the ones that I think are fine. Mm-hmm. are fine in a way that you know are are honestly at a, a level above yeah the last few case files we've been reading like,
0: absolutely
1: even the misfires i think are still good
0: no exactly i actually no. think i think that uh, the gibson art where i complain about the story is really strong like the brazil art i liked better i like the art better on this on descent but um you know Honestly, The Christmas with the Blints is the closest one to really kind of being, like, sub-par. Or, it's at par. Everything else, honestly, like you said, is, is a little bit better than fine. It's fine plus. It's, like, just a little bit better as opposed to not quite on the nose. Like, it's not perfection, but we already had, like... Eighty sixty 60 to 80 pages of that at the beginning of the volume so I'm not really complaining you know so um and again sort of similarly for me bite club or bite fight as i think they call it for whatever reason probably cuz someone had already come out with bite club by this time which is a um just what it sounds like on a tin uh, uh, essentially uh, dread trying to infiltrate a human uh dog fighting ring essentially where um one of the participants is actually an undercover judge and ends up being found out and thrown into a battle with the death with a drugged and crazed uh Devlin Wah. um you know you know me i'm 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 a huge sucker for the art of this is like John Burns right is that yeah 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 name, it right? is John Burns yeah and i love Burns's work and so you know it's it's i think it's i think the story isn't much honestly um but but man did i dig looking at it as i usually do with burns
1: so yeah i i, I think by fight is like i said before like tonally off in the same way that Christmas christmas's is. yeah I, I i feel it just doesn't quite work mm-hmm. uh i although you know this sounds like a strange thing at least it's short yeah right right well exactly. one of the one of the interesting things about it is it's a two-parter. and um, Because it's a magazine, the, the chapters are longer. Yeah. And so it feels like it takes too long to lead up to the big reveal at the end of the first chapter, which is, oh, my God, the vampire is devil and wall. Right. And then everything after that feels pretty speedy. Yeah. And I like that I like there's not a third part, for one of a better way of putting it. Yes. No, you know, I absolutely. Like basically like it reaches an end pretty quickly. And honestly, as much as they didn't like the strip, you know, or again – it's still good it's just doesn't yeah. match up with what else is in here right um i kind of loved the end of it mm. which is definitely just being like keep being you judge red as he's <laughs> being pulled away to, like strapped down to a gurney i, I yeah. think that's like funny um yeah. meat patrol that follows that is the gordon rennie and simon colby piece that um we talked about briefly before and is it is just great it's, it's, it's excellent movie.
0: yeah yeah, the
1: full character piece mm-hmm. uh, where where Dread is is going on Meat Patrol. He's he's basically helping collect corpses for recycle. Yeah, um, with a, a a former rookie that he flunked. Mm-hmm. It, you know, for all the pyrotechnics because it's a Dread story, and of course you have the oh, let's have a gunfight, let's have all this. It's really a character piece. Yeah, it's a character piece about how this former rookie bears the scars of being flung by dreads. Yeah. And also also how dread just doesn't give a shit. Right. Like not, not in a mean way, he just doesn't care. Yeah. Like it's not it's not on his radar to care. Yeah. You know, which is again a a really nice character beat for dread. Cuz yeah. he's not malicious in any way. He's right. not trying to make it awkward for the guy. He just genuinely doesn't care
0: right in fact one of the things that's really nice about it where another uh, person would have brought this in like well i don't know it's tough because these pages are so like that's that's a revelation for at the bottom of page three that he's like hey do you even remember me and and dread's like dread being dread he's like yeah of course i remember you and you know but we don't know One of the things I really like and how it fits so perfectly with the darker, more somber version uh, uh, tone of this volume is, is Rennie is kind of doing the sort of here's a look at at megacity and sort of how ridiculous it is kind of thing it, which is a trope and the uh, here's Dred stepping out of the way that we usually see him so he's covering another part of the judge's duties so that he's well versed in everything angle um and it's just it's really grim like there's a great panel that is the illegally held events organized by the extremely stupid sports club. And, you know, it's just people who have been catapulted, you know, are supposed to go through a hole in the middle of a solid granite block and, of course, have just been splattered all across it. And that is... That's normally really funny, but coming at four or five pages into continuous death on every page, it's... um it's kind of perfect for this volume which is to say it's absurd it's satire but it's also it's also distressing it's also a distressing little story and so everything i think in this story like it, you know normally we we talk about like our favorite non wagner story this is definitely mine for the volume i i was super impressed with it um it just it does. It does everything really well, and and just just doesn't doesn't really hit a wrong
1: note for me at at any point. That's followed by two percent, which is it's the Alan Grant story of the volume. Which Dude, is the... it's one of the better Alan Grant stories, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, no, it is. But again, <laughs> like we, he's up against some really strong competition. Yeah, in this volume, like in in previous volumes this would be that this would be, you know, I, I was going to say it would be a strong contender for, for, you know, a highlight. And I'm not sure it would, to be honest, but it is like, it's the strongest grant we've seen in a long time.
0: In a long time. When I was, I seriously finished it up. I was like, son of a bitch. Even the Alan Grant story is good. Like I really started was like, I was, I was high on the fumes by this
1: point. Graham, let me tell you. (laughs) uh again one of my problems with it is i think the art doesn't do it any favors and it's just because i think the art who, which is by someone called sean thomas sean thomas uh, yeah. is uh too painterly for want of a better way of putting it i think it doesn't have a dynamism that honestly a story about a fight should have yeah. i i i think i wanted more um energy to it and i and, and like i said more more dynamic images And I I think what we get is sort of a, you know, a nicely airbrushed page. Yep. You know? Yeah. No, definitely. It's
0: it's something that I normally don't care for, as you know. Um, And wouldn't hear, but I'm fine. I'm fine with it. Again, part of me is like, oh, it's Alan Grant. And I'm like, oh, the Alan Grant story is okay. And there were actually a few points where I was like, oh, and this looks kind of cool. So, you know. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Son,
1: Son of the Man is the the second last story in the book. It is John Wagner, Patrick Goddard, Dylan T. and Chris Blythe. And it is, on the one hand, maybe one of the, like, the most throwaway story here that isn't, mm-hmm. by, isn't Christmas with the Blintz. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of fun, I thought. I, 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 I like the gimmick of... Someone who has been so traumatized by their their own actions in the past and their upbringing that they are dreaming that their father is Judge Dread. Yeah, like I I thought that was fun. Um, and I thought what Wagner does with it is is fun as well. And he doesn't go for the obvious gimmick.
2: Like, yeah. I,
1: I expected a punchline that never arrived. Yeah. Which is you know Dread shows up and he he thought he was still dreaming. And he talked back to Dredd's and like, you're not my father or something. And that never happened. And I was really grateful for that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, it's interesting. It is it, it is I'm not I'm really not crazy about the art. I thought the art was super generic and again very bland and the colouring does it no favours. Just not strong. But I actually it, it I think one of the things that's hilarious is like, do you remember I think it's a long ways back, like maybe like case file seven or something like that, where there's like, uh, you know, like a fan, it opens with like a family and somebody's like, you know, Billy, you better brush your teeth or judge dread will come in and arrest you. And he's yeah, like, yeah. oh, and, and it's literally the next page is like dread being like, you know, you're under arrest citizen, you know, and, and, uh, this, the the first page of this is kind of that classic to me, John Wagner working in Silver HDC mode, you know, where mm-hmm. it's, you can all but see the little, what's this, ca- you know, caption panel in the corner. Um, but like you said, the story plays out, like kind of takes all of that much more seriously. And I, I think it could have been a more affecting story if the art had been kind of generic because it's very it's very Freudian and very dark and the ending is very different than what I was expecting, which is great. Mm-hmm. Like it could be, honestly, the first four to five pages, even maybe six feel almost like they could be done in a Hitchcockian style, you know, there's yes, just yes, something yeah. that's about, that's that heavily about it. Um, so it's, but so it's not terrible. It's actually a really good st- story. It just, it's one of those that I feel kind of suffers from the execution. Um, and now we can talk about, you know, the story that has my favorite character in it.
1: um, <laughs> Fat Christmas, Fat Christmas, I gave you my heart and the very next day. <laughs> so Fat Fat
0: Christmas is is so ridiculous that I didn't actually even figure out the Romeo and Juliet thing, or I, or the the Rolio. How did
1: you not figure out the
0: well, Romeo and Juliet? Once like, he said I'm Juliet, like... and I'm like, he's Rolio Polly. What the hell? And then someone's like, Hey, Rolio. So, I mean, sorry,
1: again, like it's three, it's on page
0: three or something like that, that it really kicks in. Yeah, I but. it,
1: I and Juliet's family is called the Capulets. Well, right. No, how do I put it? There's warring families. Yes, yes. No, Graham, sorry. <laughs> I
0: figured that part out. I, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't figure out how Rolio Poli was going to translate into okay, Romeo okay. until it was Rolio, but okay. no, no, no. And, and, um. I one of the things is definitely as a fatty story, uh, it's cartoony as all hell. Um, yeah, but but of course, if there's ever a story where you can get away with that, it's a fatty story. And um, wow, it just Wagner, I there's so many jokes that are popped into this, I thought that were really funny, both the artist and Wagner are really um, doing some great stuff in here. The fatties are never... It, 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 if we hadn't spent so long t- rightly praising the rest of it, I would break out my other uh, ongoing drop trope, which is dragging you into an uncomfortable conversation you would rather not have about <laughs> whether or not... like. 20, 30 years ago from now, like Dread is essentially dead as a character because uh, 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 essentially, well, you know, as you know, Chloe Maviel over at the Gutter Review had a great piece about reading underground comics and trying to read offensive material and, to 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 know... To keep the context in mind and to understand and to have a sense of history. I really did sort of finish this story with a smile on my face and then go, this really is just so horrible. Like, I'm like, that was a great story. I wonder how many people's lives that story ruined. You know what I mean? Like, there is Mm -hmm. something where I'm like, the... um. Like, I feel like we're still kind of in an area where it's okay to make fun of fat people. Um, not nearly at the level of early Dread or even this area, which is 2004, but kind of like the racism in Dread, it... Somehow, we all know that it's more wrong than the material knows, but we give it a pass as if we act like it's a different time, despite the fact...
1: That it, yeah, like it's a it's a different time that was checks notes seventeen years ago. Right, where we checked notes, still knew this was wrong. And so, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so that part is actually really hard. I, as much as I was delighted, because again, it's got the sports guys, the sports guy stuff. Like, just had me. There's a scene where, where actually, where the sports guys are like basically having a good time, and then. Somebody falls on them and it's, it's just great. It's just great, but it's just great in a, um,
1: you know, it's very wrong. Yeah,
0: exactly. Where it's like, I
1: mean, that's, that's, that's always been the thing with the fatties. Yeah. Genuinely. It's always been the thing with the fatties where you can simultaneously go, Oh, I get the joke. And I think the joke is funny while also going, I wish I didn't get the joke.
0: Right. Or, right, exactly. Or I didn't think that the joke was funny. I guess one of the things that I think for me is that, like, as much as I talk about all the genius of of Wagner on Total War and throughout this volume, I sometimes feel sadly that the most, um, and it's probably just to give myself an out, the, the biggest testimony to, to Wagner's talent is... Is that I can continue to laugh at stuff that that I genuinely think is reprehensible, you know what I mean yeah, it's yeah. it's not a like oh, I should know better i I do know better i am i there are people that I have actually like stopped from saying things that honestly are you know. Only a tenth as bad as some of the 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 jokes that happen in Fat Christmas, but I don't know what to tell you. It also it also was like I had enough of those blinders on, and Wagner just really paces it. Like what a weird weirdly. Um, I mean it's it's ostensibly a Christmas story, you know, because of the the Christmas meal, and so it. Like you can sort of like cross your eyes and sort of pretend like, oh, you know, honestly, really what Wagner is mocking is consumerism and spectatorism and any number of other isms. (laughs) But it's like, no, he just really thinks push and putting a big fat person on a single wheeled unicycle and pushing that person backwards into a fight. Is really funny. It is hilarious. And, yeah. and, I mean, the way it comes off, he's he's not... He, God help me and my immortal soul. He's not altogether wrong.
1: So, Lord help your immortal soul, Jeff. Yes. <laughs> if there's one that,
0: takeaway everyone should take from the Drock podcasting sh-
1: series, it's that.
0: It's God let about no Jeff Jeff's immortal soul.
1: Yep. We've done all the stuff that we normally wrap episodes up with already. We did it at the start. Oh yeah, um, and that you know this is like this is just such a good volume. There's there's no way yeah. this could ever be draws. Like yeah. this is easily draw. Uh, yeah, it's like we're saying before. Like it's it's one of the I think it's one of the top five volumes in the series. I which, think again, so. Incredible. Yeah, this yeah. one.
0: <laughs> and, and a huge relief after Restricted Case Files Volume Four. So, but, do you want to name your favorite? non-Wagner story since I'm... A, or is there I, I another think, Wagner story I'm, that's not totally... No, weird? I
1: think I'm agreeing with you. I think Meat Patrol is, is the best of the non-Wagner stories. I think Rennie in general does a great job in this volume. Great
0: showing by him. I, Seriously. I, I
1: think Rennie just shows that they, they, they're they very fucking good at dread. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: Total War is the, my favorite overall story. I, I can't say enough good things about Total War. Jesus. I think Total War is just such just so fucking good uh and it's only like 70 like 72 pages or something all told. yeah you know it's it, in, the, in for what it manages to accomplish in such a short period i think total war is is it's fucking extraordinary it is yeah. it is absolutely um i i
0: don't know if i mentioned it i don't think that i did but allow me also to shout out uh Henry Flint's design skills are extraordinary all throughout the radiation judges you know where he where uh Flint works the the judge symbol into the into the radiation mask hood is fucking great and that's one of at least half a dozen like did total war have a logo before this i don't think so right I don't think they did. I think yeah. I
1: think that's a, a, a Flint creation. And it's fucking again, also fucking great. Like, oh my god. Ugh. Anyway, sorry, no, no, I it's, apologize it's, it's if I ju- cut you off. Just yeah. visually I think it's 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 you know Flint is for all that I think when people think of quote unquote classic dried artists, I think they think of stuff from the first ten years. I think Flint is easily up there with any dread artist that's ever worked on the strip to
0: me flint is entered like had did i remember kind of being knocked out by his work all the way up to and then judge dread versus aliens be, me being like oh he's he's one of the top dread artists and like uh after after total war i'm like i think he he
1: might be top five for me I, maybe not yeah yeah just like because he, there's he so many care. yeah but- He's up there with a the scare for me. Like, yeah. it's a scare of McMahon and Flint for me, honestly. Yeah, seriously. Because uh, I, 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 I think that Flint just it does this. I, Flint, I think, is an incredible artist. I think it's such a shame that I think he's been slept on mm-hmm. um, by publishers. Yeah. But also, I'm really happy about it because it's let him do weird work in 2080. Yeah, for sure. You know, for like, sure. he's currently drawing the Dread Strip in 2080. Um, and his stuff there is slightly different from what he's done before in ways that I, it's just utterly fascinating to me and I, I think that the freedom he's had in 2000 AD to to experiment and to push himself mm-hmm. i think if you look at things like small house if you look at titan right um he's just he has just repeatedly over and over again demonstrated that he is an extraordinary artist well, and like you said, an incredible uh, designer as well oh absolutely a- Absolutely. Shy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. One one of the things of course everyone ironically enough, before we started doing Drock, I was familiar and a fan of Flint's Zombo with Al Ewing. And mm-hmm. that that is some insane stuff there. But and but so I was but I was also like, yeah, Flint's good. But I mean to me I was like, oh right. I guess how do I put it? Like Because the character is so storied to me, there's something different between saying like, oh yeah, you know, Henry Flint is, is just a great cartoonist and being like, he's one of the best dread artists. Like that's, that's kind of, that's a, that's like, could be, that's like a big field
1: and a potentially crowded (laughs) pantheon. You know what I mean? Like, oh no, but think about it. Dreads had Iscara, Dreads had uh, McMahon, Boland. Yeah. Tom Kennedy. Right. Uh, Kevin O'Neill. Right. Steve Dillon. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Steve Dillon. Dillon's really strong too. Exactly. So, I mean, to to, to crack in that level. Oof. Wuff. I mean. Right?
1: Yeah. yeah. You're doing good work there, yeah. Henry Flynn, is what we're saying. Yeah, no shit. No shit. So. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to say about this, or should we move on to what we're doing next month? Uh, no, I think, yeah, let's
0: talk about next month and, and yes, our, what, what I feel is less of our, I feel like this was our ultimate episode and next episode is and going to be like our, like our epilogue. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Um,
1: um so in, in, in Drock episode 46, which is what it's going to be, uh, we're going to be covering Day of Chaos, uh, which is, uh, is Wagner... I, I do not know if this is true, but I've always read it as if Wagner felt like he was leaving the strip mm. and just wanted to fuck shit up before on his way out. <laughs> uh, I, you know, he Wagner's written a lot of dread since then. Wagner's yeah. written a lot of dread since then. Yeah, but there's something just, uh, honestly, kind of amazing about Wagner because it's it's about forty six, forty eight episodes or something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's basically a year's worth of continuity for dread. Wow. And it's all Wagner, and it's, it's simultaneously all one story and also multiple short stories inside. If that makes sense, like it's yes. the like the pit as the structure. Yeah. Um, but it's it's Wagner deciding that he's really gonna fuck Megacity one up. Wow. Mm. Um, uh, which you know, after reading this one, it's like, right. yeah, if Wagner really was fucking Megacity one up, he he knows how to do it. Yeah. Right. Um, Touches on a lot of threads that I think we've been seeing bubbling under mm-hmm. uh, in the last few volumes, which makes sense because it it was only a few years after this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not jumping that far ahead, um, but I'm really curious to see what you what you make of it and what it, how it leaves you, uh, what mindset it leaves you in for for dread after that. Because I I think I do. I've said this before. I think the dread is an exceptional amount. Of really good work
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: in the last like decade, decade and a half,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and by people who are not Wagner as well. I, I think you know Rob Williams. I think is is up there with Wagner easily mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of what they've done with Dread uh, in in the last like decade or so. But you know Michael Carroll's been great. Ken Neiman's been great. I, I think there's been a, a bunch of really good Dread writing. Mm-hmm. Lately, and again, have uh, Henry Flint still drawing dread? Colin McNeil is still drawing dread. Mm. You know, you have really good artists still doing dread. Yeah. Um, and in many cases, like doing work that's even superior to what they've been doing here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh So I think the strip has been on a such a sustained upswing, right? That it's kind of amazing, mm-hmm. and I'm. It feels maybe incorrect, and I'm sure many people disagree, but I think that you could point to uh, Day of Chaos as, like, the, the the start of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it it does, again, lay out a tone, which is, okay, this is how we're doing Dread 3 now. That's in a month. That, that's in a month we're doing that. Um, that's also going to be the last talk, which is going to be... Jeff, I think you and I are going to spend December being very emotional. Yes. <laughs> rock and don't listen to wait what uh jeff mentioned it earlier but we're winding things up yep um we have been doing this now for what did we say 13 years i think we worked out it was
0: yeah i think that's right yeah Thir- um, 13 years um
1: and we're tired everyone (laughs) yeah we're
0: oh my god people yeah no but between what will be 46 episodes of drock 51 episodes of baxter building and over 350 episodes of uh wait what i think we're really gonna we're gonna basically fall just a little north of 450 episodes uh as a run which is pretty substantial
1: like, I'm, I'm Well, still what's also by it. what's also really funny is, and I don't know if you've remembered this, when we started Wait well, What, we did multiple episodes, but we called them Episode One Point. Yes, 1. yeah, right. So we've done, we've probably done more than five hundred episodes.
0: Well, oh, I, well, we didn't do that for very long, though, did we? I feel like we only I, did that for the
1: first. I feel like we. I feel like we, feel like we did it for quite some time. Yeah, maybe. I feel like we did it for quite some time, but maybe I'm wrong.
0: Well, yeah, because the thing was is we would only talk like once a month, and then we would split that into one point one one and Into really 1.2, 1.2, 1.2. short 1.2. Episodes, so episodes. Yeah, as well. exactly. To make it all easy to listen to, people are like, "Just, just go nuts." We, you know, we and
1: then we did. Sorry, yeah, exactly.
0: Taught you all a lesson. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if I actually can I can open up the RSS feed while we talk and see if I can figure that out. Now, maybe maybe I should save this for a Wait What. I'm sure people are like who listen to Drock are like, I only yeah, not listen no, no, to you guys say, the rest of the Let's save it for
1: the next Wait What. Yep. Um, the reason I was saying this though is uh, for people who may not listen to Wait What but listen to Drock, um, the next episode of Wait What, which is going to be a week from now, uh, we're mm-hmm. answering questions during the mm-hmm. Q&A session. Uh, leave Questions either at wait what podcasts at gmail.com, which is our mm. Gmail, that is our email address, right? <laughs> yes, it is. It's wait what podcasts at gmail.com, yeah. Um, or uh, on our Twitter at wait what podcast. Um, and ask us questions, ask us strong questions, yeah. Like, ask ask us for, for, for wait what listeners who haven't gotten around to yet, ask us questions. Mm. We are we used to do QA. Uh, episodes a lot, and we've kind of dropped off in the last couple of years. And, uh, I, I'm through no like it wasn't a plan. I think we literally just forgot to do Q and A episodes. <laughs> I put it this way: I genuinely love the Q and A episodes, and we just stopped doing them, and I I couldn't tell you why.
0: Yeah, yeah. Could it, you? Uh, well, I, I probably could. Again, m- maybe something more appropriate to talk about on on the Q and A episode, but the general gist that I got were the there there was our heyday where honestly we had so many questions we had to break it into like two episodes or three episodes and then after that i almost feel like we answered everything that anyone wanted to really know about us the, the next sets of q and a's were kind of the same questions like what are you guys going to do after drock you know like that kind of thing which boy guess what um we didn't know really, but now we do. So so anyway, as far as I can tell, Graham, that was it. Was I felt like there were people who were like, hey, when, when are you going to read The Avengers? Or, you know, kind of like, hey, have you ever thought about discussing a comic book that we talked about eight years ago that clearly no one can remember because we're all so goddamn old? Again, it's it's been a wild ride. 13 years you're also right, Graham. We were doing the the at least the point ones, point twos, sometimes up to point fours or point fives, well into the thirteens, thirteen some. So yeah, you might be you you really might be right if you if you yeah. I I think out we
1: right. might have done over fifty episodes <laughs> overall, oh, which Jesus. is hilarious.
0: Wow. Okay. Well. Anyway. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that'll be my big challenge: is just tally, just count all the files in the damn. Oh, well, they're all split up. Anyway, listeners, uh, Graham's going to tell you where to find us, I think. And then I'm getting out of here.
1: I am. I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that uh, we will have show notes after this episode on Monday. Because, again, it's Drock. Therefore, I'm doing show notes. Therefore, you're waiting to Monday, everyone, uh, at waitwhatpodcast.com. I've already mentioned that we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D, and I am at Graham M at G R A E M. Again, I took a breath and I ruined it. At Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M.
2: Yay.
1: Uh Twitter. And you know, who knows? Twitter might not even exist by the time you listen to this no episode. No kidding, right? right? right. right? Yeah. Just enjoy it while well, you can, everyone. Uh we're <laughs> Patreon which hopefully will exist by the time you listen to this episode and jeff's going to tell you all about that right now yeah
0: uh listeners boy you are great we owe uh everyone who's dropped us a a kind word whether on twitter through the email or on the comments like a huge thank you like it is truly heartwarming to see how many people have been with us like the whole time. And I say that I'm also equally in awe of the people who like started listening to us and enjoyed us enough that they were like, yeah, then I went back and listened to all your episodes over one weekend where it was just like, what the hell could that weekend have been like, you know, for that to happen? But a hellscape, hellscape. <laughs> an audio hellscape. Yeah, exactly. Uh We're also incredibly indebted to the kind souls at patreon who are genuinely generous not just not just with the ears and the comments and the kindnesses but also throwing us a little bit of the hard-earned dosh which is fabulous if anyone i i hate to be an ugly shill but if anyone wants to to join up for the patreon and throw us some dosh for like the final month the That will go a long way towards keeping our hosting services running after we um after we stop doing the podcast um or mostly stop doing the podcast so whether you do or not believe me the the people at patreon has have given us so much and really given so much back as well because honestly uh well, one thing that I thought about doing for our final. Episodes is um, tallying the amount of money that we have given to other creators on Patreon because we've always pledged to to give ten percent back to other creators. And frankly, it there have been many years that it was it was more than that because Graham and I aren't necessarily good at math. We're also we're also soft touches, but that is directly. <laughs> Because you guys were this were the softest of soft touches first, and we thank you. Want to give a special uh, shout out, Temperance Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of this podcast. Um, she may not have uh, done a, 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 an especially robust job watching over uh, the tech industries this week, but you know that's usually not her bag. She tends to handle the galactic realm side of things and the cosmos is still in one piece, as is the podcast for now. So so thank you,
1: Audrey. Uh and thank you, listeners. Graham? I personally think that uh Audrey's been doing a great job. And my amusement at the hellscape that has been Twitter this past week, I think, is, is all down to, to Empress Audrey. Yes. Thanks, Empress Audrey. <laughs> this is a talk, which means that Jeff sings it out, and he's about to do so right now for the second last time. Oh, geez. Um, second last time. You're going you know, to get hear Jeff say this. Say it might, this. It might be the last time, considering. You're right. What Wait. you say.
0: Considering what?
1: Oh, right. Yeah, 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 right, because
0: I might not do it next time. Well, anyway, you know what I started thinking was, like, I was like, you know what I should have do? I should do this in the voice of Rico instead of Dredd, which would be fun, and then I started thinking, like, how would I make that different? And then I thought, wouldn't it be great if I did it, like, in a high, squeaky voice? Like, nobody ever really talks about that because you can't hear it, but, like, Drock, You know, Dread's like, drok, And Rico's like, drok. You know, so I think that would be great like nobody he's <laughs> like a younger dread
1: I, I love I love this please please do everything in the voice of Rico from now on <laughs> maybe I will I'll be I'll be all uh,
0: Drac report to the cubes, citizen and we'll see you in 30
1: okay why is Mickey Mouse <laughs> I just thought it'd be really funny I don't know uh, what can I tell you <laughs>